0: This morning, um, well, all summer, in fact, I have been thinking about a question, and it was—it's a big question—and I'm going to explore it with you this morning. And the question is, what is the point of life? And I have genuinely been thinking about it all summer. Jonathan and I went out for brunch a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, "What's, you know, what's kind of on your mind just now?" And I was like, "What's the point of life?" <laughs> he's like, "Anything else that we could talk about over brunch?" and one of the reasons that I've been thinking about it is that I've been reading a lot of philosophy this summer. Um, I teach philosophy, and so I have been reading swatting up in the holidays. And I've been reading a lot of existentialist philosophy, which, if you know anything about it, it brings up this kind of question. But also I listened to a sermon. And the sermon said that most people, the average person, is so busy that they don't stop and ask that question. We're so busy doing things and being and yuh that we don't stop and we say, what's the point of everything? Or when all is said and done, what will I have achieved in life? We just don't generally stop. It's a fundamental question, but we don't pause often long enough to go, what is the point? So we're going to do it this morning. (laughs) Some of you may have already asked that question, wrestled with it. Some might be asking it now. Some might have never asked it if you'll indulge me then this morning we will all pause and think about uh, that question. Now the summer series has been on art right and it's been ace. People have taken a picture of Christian art and used it to point towards a passage I'm kind of cheating this morning a little bit. I'm broadly sticking within Glenn's rules. (laughs) But I have chosen a piece of art that is not Christian and that doesn't point to a passage. But it's a piece of art, right? Okay. So the piece of art that I've chosen is about to come on the screen. Um, You may or may not be able to see it. It's not really that key, the piece of art. We're not going to speak so much about that. But we're going to speak about the story that is behind this piece of art. I don't know if you know this piece of art, it's by Titian, I thought his name was Titian (laughs) until I was corrected, my art is not strong, but it's by Titian and it's the story of Sisyphus. Again, you may or may not be familiar with Greek mythology because, in fact, it's not actually a Christian story. It's a Greek myth, and I'm going to tell you it this morning. So the myth of Sisyphus is that this guy was human, was a mortal. Not immortal, but a mortal. And he displeased the Greek gods through various ways. And eventually they caught up with him, and they condemned him forever to carry a rock I went down to the beach this morning and I picked the heaviest one that I thought I could carry. (laughs) They took a rock, carry or push the rock up a mountain, right? And he had to do this. It was really heavy. And every time he got to the top of the mountain, whatever he did, the rock would roll back down. I'm not going to damage the stage (laughs) by rolling the rock down. But the rock would roll back down, whatever he did, and then he would have to walk down And the next time, the next day, the next moment, he'd have to pick up the rock again and climb back up the mountain. Right? Whatever he did, the rock would fall back down the mountain and then he'd have to do it again. Sisyphus. And actually, the painting of the fourth road bridge is called a Sisyphean uh, task or something because it's this continual, whatever you do, it's a heavy rock. (laughs) I think I'll just do it twice. It's a frustrating and pointless act that ultimately accomplishes nothing, right? The theory being that there's no greater punishment than, what do you say, futile and hopeless labor. It's like, for the teenagers at the back, writing an essay, spending all day writing an essay, you get to the last sentence, and the computer crashes. Everything's gone. Then you start the essay again, and then the computer crashes. Every day, forever, and ever, and ever. It's like that. Futile, totally futile. And Albert Camus, the French kind of French philosopher, he wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus in which he speaks about this story. And he says in his book, it's legitimate and necessary to wonder whether life has any meaning. It's legitimate and necessary to wonder whether life has any meaning. And he takes this story of Sisyphus, this myth of the afterlife, and he applies it to life right now. And he says, if life is revealed to be as futile as the labor of Sisyphus, how should we respond? If this is really what life is like, like he equates it to everyday life. You get up, right, your alarm goes off. You get up, you have breakfast. You go to work. You have some lunch or school or housework or whatever. You go and you have lunch. You do more work. You get to the evening. You have some tea. You watch something on Netflix. He didn't say that. And then you go to bed. And then, I wish I could roll it. I should have made a slide, right? For the, <laughs> and then you come back down. And the next morning, the alarm goes off and you do it all again, right? So Camus equates this story with what everyday life is like. And he says that we get into the habit of living before we get into the habit of thinking so we just accept it. We don't pause. We all just go, okay, alarm's gone off, snooze, alarm's gone off, snooze, and then you get up and then you just do what you need to do because we're in the habit of living without thinking. And for Camus, there was no God. So he said, this is a futile act. Life is futile and ultimately meaningless you create some meaning for yourself unless you find something that makes you happy because actually at the end of his book he imagines Sisyphus is actually happy pulling his rock up the hill because he's recognized it's futile he's recognized there's no meaning to it and he's kind of okay with that reconciled to that so Camus kind of catchphrase nowadays I think might be keep calm and carry on right carry on, just keep carrying that rock up even if it's futile, even if it's meaningless, keep calm and carry on I think or I wonder if that's how a lot of people respond when they are faced, when they pause and think what is the purpose of life pause for a moment and then just keep calm and carry on Camus calls it we experience weariness tinged with amazement we stop and we go what is the point of life and then it's dinner time and then something on netflix and then you go to bed and then the alarm goes off and then you just and actually you go do you know what i think i just need a holiday i think i just need a break from all this and then i'll feel better after the holiday and actually you get quite attached to your rock right i feel quite attached to this rock already and, or maybe too scared to put it down because nobody else seems to have put their rock down and actually everybody else seems to be okay carrying their rock and so we just keep calm and we carry on Camus philosophy and I don't think that's what the Bible says but let's go to a different passage I'm going to read you a passage a, a passage from a book let take a bit of drink water smoke nothing but smoke there's nothing to anything it's all smoke what's there to show for a lifetime of work a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone One generation goes its way, the next one arrives. But nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up, sun goes down. Then it does it again and again. Same old round. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's nothing new on the earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. Same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday, and the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. Anybody know where that passage is from? Ecclesiastes is one of the books in the Bible. And actually, the biggies, you should have got this, because we did Ecclesiastes just before the holidays. message translation of Ecclesiastes and when we were doing it upstairs we're working through the books of the bible when we're doing upstairs we realized that the Hebrew word for Eugene Peterson translates it smoke but meaninglessness or vapor is hevel which I think is an ace Hebrew word to describe hevel it's meaningless everything is meaningless and the author of Ecclesiastes is like everything is hevel everything is hevel right he says you have to recognize big things time death totally out with your control it's meaningless you can do little things big things totally out with your control you're not free you have no control and he says what you can do the author says is trust god fear god these are important things but ultimately everything is meaningless now his last verse, he ends with a glimmer of hope that something might change in the future, right? Because Ecclesiastes was written before Jesus is in the Old Testament. So he's pointing forward a little bit. So let's, let's just put Ecclesiastes with Camus just now and let's just keep going in our story. Because my question for you is, what is the purpose of life for a Christian? Is it different to, for a non-Christian? Are we to believe, accept salvation, keep God's commandments, and then just wait it out until we die? Is that our purpose? Are we to be like Sisyphus, right? So we're just the same. Oh my goodness. We're just carrying this rock up the hill, but we know that this is just temporary that every day we're doing this, just the same as everybody else, but we know that one day we'll stop doing this and we'll we'll just put it down. And sometimes we see somebody else carrying a rock and you know, we're not doing this forever. Is that the purpose of life for a Christian? I think it's bigger than that, right? I think there's more to it than that. I have some what-ifs. Let's just do some imagining if when you become a christian the main thing isn't that you're going to go to the good place when you die not the main thing what if atonement and salvation are what happens on the way right to something else rather than that being the final goal What if being saved is the start? It's necessary, absolutely fundamentally necessary, but it's relatively minor compared with all that's to come. What if salvation is essential so you're not in danger, but the result is that you're now able to go and do something? It's the beginning, right, of a journey. Now I teach a unit on Christianity at school and when I'm doing this lesson on salvation I use a clip to help them understand what I'm talking about. And I thought, especially because the biggies are in today I would show you this clip. Now, they have all seen the movie. You might not have seen the movie but I hope you'd understand the clip here. It's from a movie called Toy Story 3 and the toys are in danger and this I think is helpful to understand the concept of salvation. It I said about Andy's attic I take it all back you darn too you said it oh darling you were so brave you saved our lives and we are eternally grateful my boys yeah. hey where's that furball bolazzo? yeah I left like the loose in his stitching. forget it guys. I can... so if you were in my class right now I would give you a Hebrew lesson on how this is relevant to salvation I'll give you it in English because we don't have time to go into the Hebrew but do you see that the toys were in danger right they were about to be incinerated they were going down into the fire and before this clip they tried to save themselves they'd used magnets and they'd done various things but they couldn't save themselves and they recognized that they couldn't do it and they needed something to come from out with to help them. And the word salvation in Hebrew has that image of something destroying you and then an arm coming from out with and rescuing you. I mean, it's perfect in Hebrew to <laughs> the Toy Story 3 is as if they knew. The claws, something coming and rescuing you from something that is going to destroy you. You cannot rescue yourself. And it takes you and it transfers you into safety, right? That's the the basic understanding in Hebrew um, of salvation. So what comes next for the toys though, right? I mean, Toy Story 3 doesn't go on and help me with this analogy, but do they just come and pick up a rock and start walking up a hill? What comes next for us once we've been rescued? And Glenn was saying things in the worship that were really chiming in with this, right? We have been rescued right this has happened it's not like we are sitting back here and we're working our way towards it and then at the end we will be rescued and transferred we have been rescued and transferred colossians 1 says we have been transferred from here to the kingdom of his beloved son that rescue has happened if you're a christian right taken from here and moved over to here so my question is what next now I realize I'm making a big assumption and again if I was at school I would have a lot of kids going uh, we don't need rescued (laughs) I don't need rescued from anything and if I do need rescued I can do it myself thank you very much and you might be sitting there thinking yeah I think I may be on board with that I recognize it's a big assumption that I've just made here and you maybe just need to sit with that but I have to keep going so I will make that assumption and then move on so how Respond to the rescue, right? The claw has come, has taken you, has transferred you from danger, from peril, and you're now over here. What do you do? Do you just pick up your rock and go about your daily life as if nothing has happened, waiting for something eternal? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think that's one of the reasons we gather here on a Sunday, right? You have saved our life, and we're eternally grateful, as they said to the aliens. (laughs) saved our life and we're eternally grateful right so we come and we adore the rescuer and that's what we do here we come and we were like oh this is amazing you have taken me from here and you've put me here and I couldn't do it myself and that is absolutely unbelievable and when we see that and when we think about that I think that helps us to worship in a different way we have to the catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's part of our response to the rescue. And we read the Bible to find out more about our rescuer and to adore God. But I think we also read our Bible to find out how to live in light of the rescue. Because I don't just think it's rescued and you're here and God's like, "Okay, that's it done now, you're safe." I think there's let's go bigger. Let's go bigger. So if all of this is true, if everything that I'm saying is true, then why have we been rescued? Why did this take place? I'm going to turn to a theologian now. N.T. Wright says, If we see salvation in terms of going to heaven when we die, the main work of the church is bound to be seen in terms of saving souls for the future. But when we see salvation as the New Testament sees it, in terms of God's promised new heavens and new earth, our promised resurrection to share in this, then the main work of the church, here and now, demands to be rethought. If salvation is just a private act, I am saved, so I go to heaven, I want you to be saved, so you can go to heaven, I'm not saying that's not important, that is vital, but if it's only that... that's what scripture says I don't think that it's just about me and my salvation and you and your salvation I think it's bigger I think it is that but I think it's bigger and I think the bigger picture encompasses God's bigger worldwide purposes so let's get to Jesus right (laughs) it's a good safe place to get to how can he help us think about why we have been rescued he spoke a lot about the kingdom of God, and I have to confess, I am just working through my Christianity unit at school just all in one sermon rather than in a number of different weeks. Because where I go with the kids at school is, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, right? A lot. And it's really confusing. It's particularly confusing for people who have no church background. But it's a confusing. It's, it's not straightforward. But he's not speaking about heaven when he's speaking about the kingdom of God. Because it's already here. He brought it in, right? Right? it's limited in its scope and its effect but it's already here but it's not yet fully realized right that's the theological term already but not yet Jesus coming was the launching of the kingdom and I like to think of the water into wine as the launch party because that was his first miracle he launched it it's not fully here yet but there's something changed because of that But the launch didn't really end the way that the disciples were expecting, right? Because he died. Except that wasn't the end, because he came back to life. And again, that's another massive assumption that some of you might be going, have a problem with that. But Paul says, if that didn't happen, then this is all a pain. (laughs) So I'm going to make that assumption too. So Jesus' death and resurrection give us the good news. What is the good news? God is God, Jesus is Lord, evil is ultimately defeated, and there's this new whole kingdom that started, right? God is God, Jesus is Lord, evil ultimately is defeated, and there's this new kingdom that's begun. And we, once we have been rescued, get to show that to the world. We get to show that God is God, Jesus is Lord, evil is ultimately defeated, and God's new kingdom has begun been transferred, that's Colossians one eleven. transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been transferred, not some future thing. So what does it look like to be living in this kingdom of his beloved son? I have some thoughts. We are different because we've been rescued. And we show that difference in lots of different ways. Here's some that were off the top of my head. We show it by the way we interact and talk with each other. By the way we talk about each other to other people, (laughs) right? By the way we talk about our struggles and our failings, which nowhere are promised to stay back here when we're transferred over here. They come with us, unfortunately. But the way that we talk about it honestly, openly, with one another, the way we struggle together with it, the way we talk about each other's failings and struggles, I think that's different because we recognise that we have been rescued. By the way that we look at the world, the way we look at beauty, by the way we create art, the way we create music, by the way we love the unlovable, by the way we fight for justice, by the way we serve each other without looking for a reward or a pat on the back or recognition, by the way we care for the planet, by the way we think. And I think that sometimes the rock that we carry around is not obviously a physical rock, but it's just ways of thinking, negative ways of thinking that we just carry around with us. I think when we see this rescue, these things begin to change. And that stretches way beyond me and my salvation to encompasses God's big kingdom project that started 2,000 years ago and it's going to stretch on until Jesus comes back and we get to be a part of that kingdom project. So once you've been rescued, and some of you maybe are like, oh, I don't know, I'm still back at this stage. That's totally fine. But once you feel like you've been rescued and transferred into this kingdom, the next question should be, how do you want me to serve in this kingdom project? Because I think we are rescued so that we can serve. Right? We're rescued so that we can show this amazing thing that's happened to the world. And I'm not calling you <laughs> to go and stand on the street corners and shout that the kingdom of God is near. That might work for some people. I'm not dissing that. That's not what I'm calling you to do. I think what we need to do is allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so that these differences that I've been speaking about come out so that people can see What's happening in our lives? I have a story to tell about Jonathan, and he's not here, he's at work, so I can tell it. He would hate me telling it. Um, there was a, a dad at school that he knows that I was speaking to um, once, and he said, Do you know, there's just something different about Jonathan. There's like a contentedness and a peace that. Explain, and I can't understand it. He's like, I'm asking him questions, and I can't work out why he has that. And he knows we're Christians; he knows we come to church, and he's he's wanting to find out more about that. And I think that's part of it, right? I think that's part of. Now, Jonathan would say, "Oh, I was just obviously having a really good day," <laughs> and he said that. But I wonder if it's part of it that kind of there's something different about us because God's Holy Spirit is at work in us, and we recognise that we had to be rescued. We could literally not save ourselves. And we had to be rescued and transferred. And because of that, we are different in all our interactions. And I think the work of the kingdom changes depending on the seasons that you're in. And I was reminded of this this week when mum was telling me about Olive's funeral. I didn't manage to go, but a lady who'd been in the church for a long time, Olive, um, Nicole, probably most of you weren't here in our her time. She's not, she's been in her house. She was 95 when she died. But at the funeral, they were talking about all the things that she did for God's kingdom when she was younger. You know, she used to do beach missions and she used to do the Sunday school and she used to do, all... that was the season in her life where she was serving. Serving God in that way. But I don't think that finished when she stopped doing that. Agnes is shaking. I love it. You know, she, she kept serving just in a different way, right? So we don't go, oh, I'd serve God when I was younger, that'd be done with that, or I'd, I'll do it when I have more time. I think the serving changes, but the serving doesn't change, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? It's like the opposite of this, right? (laughs) It's not in vain. This is an ultimately futile act. Somehow, serving in the kingdom is not in vain. Somehow it's going to stretch on into the new heavens and the new earth. I don't understand it. And Martin Luther once said, someone said, what would you do if you were told God was coming back tomorrow? And he said he would go and plant a tree. (laughs) I mean, like, I think there's more to that than I get in my head at the moment. But it's this idea that what we do now stretches on beyond what we do now. It's not in vain, ultimately not in vain. So what does someone who's working for the kingdom look like? Do they look like Glenn? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> but not only. I've been reading Kierkegaard, <laughs> that's another philosopher, and he speaks about knights of faith. And he says, they are able to dwell in the finite world, enjoy and delight in the pleasures and curiosities of the world, but they're different, Right? There, we, we are not called to I'm, I'm not going to enjoy the world I'm just going to be, we're called to enjoy this is God's good creation right we're called to live in the world, enjoy it be curious about it create things in it but it's more than that right? it's about the recreation and we get to be part of that project which is amazing the last quote that I'm going to give you is from a book called The Great Divorce and it's by C.S. Lewis and if you haven't read it I do recommend it The writer of the book, not C.S. Lewis, but in the book, is in a dream. And he boards a bus, which takes him on an incredible voyage of heaven and hell. That's from the back of the book. And in this scene, he is in or near heaven, and he speaks about a procession that he sees. First came bright spirits. Then on the left and the right, at each side of the Forest Avenue, came youthful shapes, boys upon one hand and girls upon the other, If I could remember their singing and write down the notes, no man who read the score would ever grow sick or old. Between them went musicians, and after these a lady in whose honour all this was being done. And only partly do I remember the unbearable beauty of her face. Is it? Is it? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, he said. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be a person of particular importance. Aye, she's one of the great ones. You've heard that fame on this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are those women on men on each side? They're her sons and daughters. She must have had a very large family, sir. Sir. Every young man or boy that met her became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door, every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? No. There are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving more. On earth, Sarah Smith was unremarkable, right? wouldn't have known her but she went about her daily business she wasn't showy she wasn't flashy she wasn't famous and yet she had been rescued and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son and she worked for that kingdom in quiet unassuming ways she loved god and she loved people and that's what makes you famous (laughs) with god I have a question just as we finish it's from Matthew 11 it's Jesus saying are you tired worn out burnt out in religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. We're going to pause. Sometimes it's good just for a bit of quiet, a bit of still. You might totally identify with that passage. You're like, I am exhausted. And actually, what I need to do is take this rock that I've been carrying about, and I just need to put it down. And actually, not planned by me, there are rocks here. If you actually symbolically want to come and take an actual rock and lay it at the cross, you're welcome to there from before. You might be in that category of just going, oh, I'm done with that. Maybe you want to ask, how can I serve in this kingdom project? Maybe you're like, oh, I have not asked that question in a long time, if ever. And you're like, how can I serve at this season that I'm at in my life? Maybe you just quietly want to have a chat with God. Maybe you're actually back still at my assumptions earlier and you're like, I still have a problem with those. Just sit with that. That's okay. Maybe you've never been rescued and you want to have a chat with God about that. Maybe you just want to sit in quiet before we go down to all the hustle of the cafe. Let's just sit for a moment or two and then I'll pray to finish us off. I thank you that you have transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son. And I thank you that it's because another transference happened that Jesus, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on our nature, and became obedient to death, even death, on a cross. And that you have exalted him above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And I thank you that it's because of what was accomplished there somehow that we have been rescued. And I ask that you would help us by your spirit to ask the question, how can we serve in your kingdom project? That we may glorify you and adore you, our rescuer and our deliverer. In Jesus' name, amen.